Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. If you have your Bibles, uh, Ezra chapter 5, we're going to continue this series in Ezra. Uh, And throughout Ezra, what we've been seeing is that this is about 530-something years before uh, Jesus Christ would show up on the scene, and yet it is a shadow or it is a picture of Jesus who is to come and to do these things ultimately. So as we look at the Israelites, what they're doing is they are uh, coming back out of exile. They've been in slavery, and they're coming from Babylon. It's a 500-mile journey. Uh, they're taking their donkeys, and they're walking, and they're coming back to Jerusalem. And their goal is two things. They want to rebuild the city, and they want to rebuild the temple. And our goal as Christians is the exact same thing, but it's different. Uh, Jesus leads us out of the slavery of sin, and he leads us into this world, and we are to rebuild the temple, to build the temple, really. The temple is no longer a place where people come to meet with God, though. The temple is now the people of God. And you and I, were bricks and stones in this temple, and we're called to build that with Jesus. And then the second part of it is we no longer are building a city in Jerusalem. Uh, there are still some people who will tell you that uh, what God wants is just for Jerusalem to be restored or just for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And I want to say yes and amen. He wants Jerusalem to be rebuilt, but he also wants the entire world to be restored. What God has wanted from the very beginning is that he might have people who would partner with him in ruling over the world. That he wants you to be a part of his missional plan in this world to see his kingdom come to bear. And his kingdom is a good kingdom. It's a kingdom where those who are poor are blessed. It's a kingdom where those who are hungering for righteousness are blessed. It's a kingdom where the meek are blessed. It's a kingdom where everything that this world says is good is really pretty much turned upside down. It's not a world where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. It's a world in which we share with one another. It's a world in which we see love and grace and peace abound. And as the church of Jesus Christ, our job is to see that transformation in this world. And if you think that's a big job, that's a good thing for you to be thinking because it's very difficult. It's very hard. And this is why we need what we see in Ezra chapter 5. In Ezra chapter 5, what we see is the people of God beginning again to rebuild the temple. And they've come with a renewed urgency because of the leadership. So if you remember last week where we left off, we were in Haggai. And in Haggai, the people got a little bit lazy, as we all do. They got selfish. You know, that they had come this very long journey And then the government shut them down from their building process. And the people said, you know what? We tried. So now we'll just spend all of our money building our own houses and focusing on our own things. And this goes on for about 16 years until a prophet named Haggai comes up. And Haggai is one of those preachers you didn't mess with. You know, I try to be nice to you guys. I try to put things softly. Haggai didn't have no time for that. He was going straight at him. And he said, the time is now. You need to start rebuilding this temple. And then the people listened to him. And they begin to rebuild the temple. Uh, And that's what we see as we jump into Ezra 5. So I'm going to read the whole text. And then I want to focus probably just on uh, one portion, uh, which is going to be in the first couple of verses. But let me read it and then we'll pray. uh, Ezra chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. But when the prophets Haggai, who we read last week, and Zechariah, son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, began to rebuild God's house in Jerusalem. The prophets of God were with them, helping them. At that time, Tatanai, the governor of the region west of Euphrates River, Shershebeth, I mean, I murdered that name, uh, and their (laughs) colleagues came to the Jews and asked, but if you guys want to try, you're more than welcome to come up and give it a shot. 
Uh, Who gave you the order to rebuild this temple and to finish this structure? They also asked them, what are the names of the workers who are constructing this building? But God was watching over the Jewish elders. These men wouldn't stop them until a report was sent to Darius so that they could receive written instructions about this matter. So what's going on here is uh, they begin to rebuild the temple and the enemies who shut them down some two decades earlier said, wait a minute, (laughs) the king said you couldn't build anymore. So why are you doing this? And the people just ignore the king and they say, well, you, you reach out to him because If he searches his royal archives, he'll find way back there that he said that we could rebuild the temple. And so what? They they say, well, you go talk to the king. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to keep building. We're not going to be stopped by this. And then verse 6, it says, This is the text of the letter that Tatani, the governor of the region of the west of Euphrates, River, Shershabars, Benozi. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I mean, I I barely graduated high school, guys. So bear with me. I think my aunt laughed the loudest, which which really hurts. (laughs) And their colleagues, the officials in the region, sent to King Darius. They sent him a report written as follows to King Darius. All greetings, which is really ironic because in the uh, the original language, it's it's all peace. And and these are the people trying to get the peace stopped. They don't want peace for the Jewish people. But they say, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we to the house of the great God and the providence of Judah. That's how I think the bad guys talk. You can make up your own voices in your own head. Uh, It is being built with cut stones and its beams are being built, set in the walls. This work is being done diligently and succeeding through the people's efforts. Oh, what a terrible thing. So we questioned the elders and asked, who gave you the order to rebuild this temple and finish this structure? We also asked them for their names so we could write down the names of their leaders for your information. These are like toddlers snitching right now. You know, what's your name? I'm going to send your name to the king and let him know what you're doing. Verse 11. This is the reply they gave to us, they being the Jewish people. We are servants of the God of the heavens and earth. We are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. In other words... We don't serve you, king of Babylon. We don't serve you, king of Persia. We serve the God of this universe. And it uses that term heavens and earth, which is something I think a lot of Christians really kind of struggle to think about sometimes. But this is true, that God is not just the God of the heavens, the heavenly realm. He's the God of everything. You know who's really in charge of Ukraine? It's Jesus Christ on his throne. You know who's really in charge of the United States of America? It's Jesus Christ on his throne. Now, we have leaders who think they're really in charge and and they think that they're actually doing some things. But in the end of it, guess what? They will bow their knees to Jesus one day, either because of humility or humiliation, one of the two. But King Jesus will eventually show that he is truly and totally in charge. And these people are brave. They're a lot braver than I am. They're a lot braver probably than a lot of us in this room because they stand to this person who has the power to destroy them. And they say, we don't serve you. We serve the God of heavens and earth. And I wonder if we would have that same kind of attitude. I I felt really convicted this week as uh, some of the the missionaries that we support through the North American Mission Board are in Ukraine. And uh, I get updates. And and, uh, one of the thing, one of the updates that Nam sent me was about how they offered to get some of these Ukrainian pastors out of harm's way. And not a single one of them took Nam's offer to get out of harm's way. They all said, no, we are going to stay irregardless of. Of what it takes. And that's convicting to me, friends, because oftentimes in our church culture, 
if we're not comfortable, we don't like it. You know, if the pastor doesn't uh, engage me enough, you know, I go, oh, that wasn't a great sermon and I go home. Uh, or if the air conditioner is not working, we complain. Or if the chairs aren't comfortable enough, it's not good enough for us. If the songs aren't what we want them to be, then, you know, we might not come back next week. And here in Ukraine, you have people who are literally having their lives on the line. And they say, no, we will not go away from this place because we serve the God of heaven and earth. Thought of uh, pastors in Afghanistan who uh, report having to sing in a whisper. They meet underground and they sing like this. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. They sing like that so that the authorities doesn't come for them. <laughs> and, and, and yet look at our church culture. And I'm not saying this to get you guys. I'm, I'm included in that church culture. I'm included in that. I'm spoiled. And yet here are these people saying, no, we don't serve. We don't serve the rulers of this world. We serve the God of the heavens and the earth. Verse 12. But since our fathers angered the God of the heavens. And here we see true repentance through the rest of this letter. He handed them over to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of King Cyrus, he issued a decree to rebuild the house of God. He also took from the temple in Babylon the gold and the silver articles of God's house that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and carried them to the temple in Babylon. He released them from the temple in Babylon to a man named Sheshabar, the governor, by the appointment of King Cyrus. This, this is the guy who was in charge when they first came back uh, from Babylon. Cyrus told him, take these articles and put them in the temple in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its original site. Then this same Sheshibar came and laid the foundation of the pro- God's house in Jerusalem. It has been under construction from that time until now, but it has not been completed. So if it pleases the king, let a search of the royal archives in Babylon be conducted to see if it is true that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. Let the king's decision regarding this matter be sent to us. Very brave. They say, you guys go check your records, but until you do, we're going to keep building. And I love how they say it doesn't. We'll be the ones who, who take your decision and decide what we do with it. Not, you know, if you don't want us to do it, we won't do it. But no, you just you go, you do your decision things. But but while you're doing that, we're going to serve the true God, the true king. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to go back to verse 1, and I want to spend our time there. Father, I do pray for my Ukrainian brothers and sisters in Christ right now. Uh, I pray for those who are over there, and they're fearing for their lives. They're fearing for their freedom. They're fearing for all of the things that I so often take for granted. God, I, I pray that out of this, and I know it will happen because it always happens, Lord, out of the persecution, out of the shaking, God, the church is strengthened. It always is. God, when people try to squash us, we, we, we tend to multiply. And Jesus, I pray for that same spirit that our Ukrainian brothers and sisters have and our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and our brothers and sisters in other places where it's not so easy. I pray that that spirit would be in us. God, that we would serve you irregardless of what this world says to do, irregardless of what the powers that be tell us to do, because we know who is truly in control. Jesus, I thank you that you are the great prophet, you are the great priest, and you are the great king. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to go back to verses 1 and 2. That's really where I want to spend my time today. Uh, And we're going to talk about the threefold offices that we see in the Old Testament, uh, which I know sounds thrilling to you, but just stick with me. Uh, In the Old Testament, the way God's government worked uh, was he didn't just have kings. He also had, had kings, he had prophets, and he had priests, and they all worked together. 
uh, because the king couldn't be the prophet and the prophet couldn't be the king and the priest couldn't be the, the prophet and so on and so forth. Uh, the king was uh, really he had a ministry of wisdom. He was to kind of rule the kingdom. He, he was the one who brought justice and order to everything. And then the, the prophets were the ones who were the mouthpiece of God. So when God gave a word to his people, he spoke through the prophets to the people. And then the priests were the ones who really loved and cared for God's people. They were the ones who, uh, if you wanted to talk to God, if you wanted to be with God, then you'd go to the priest. You kind of think of it like the prophets are the ones who uh, give us God's voice, and the priests are the way that we would talk back to God. Uh, the priests had a ministry of presence. They were to lead you into God's presence. The prophets had a ministry of the word. They were giving you God's word. And the kings had a ministry of wisdom. They were to give us God's wisdom and lead us with wisdom. And they all work together. And we see that here in verse 1. It says, But when the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Idio, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel is the leader of Ezra 1 through 6, and he's the king type figure. He's the one who leads the people out of Babylon, and he's overseeing kind of the building. He's doing the, the, uh, the wisdom type work. Uh, and some of you, you have, I believe all of us have these kind of gifts within us, these gift mixes, uh, prophet, priest, or king. You can always find out if somebody has kind of a kingly gift, uh, if they have a label maker, and they like spreadsheets. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the wisdom gift, you know, and, and we need these people. I is not one of these people. You know, I, I, I am definitely, I know I'm on the stage. This shouldn't be a shock to you, but I'm the prophet type. I feel like I have that kind of wisdom. I just get up here and I yell at you guys. And, uh, and then I don't really think about what happens after that, you know. And, and we, need, we need prophets and we need, we need kingly type gifting. We all have these kind of different giftings. But, you know, I mean, I can stand up here and in the moment think of something like, you know, we need to send all of our kids to camp for free. And I believe we do need to do that. That's actually a real vision that I have for our church. And I believe God wants us to do that. That there should never, ever be a kid in our student ministry or a kid's ministry who wants to go to camp that can't go because of money. And I don't want us to have to do fundraisers. I believe as a church family, we ought to just pay for it. Because they are not just the future of the church. They are the church. You see me being a prophet there. Now, the problem with that is, is I don't know anything about the budget. So what we need is a kingly person. (laughs) What we need is a king to say out there like, okay, that's great. But how does that work? You know, like, and and I need somebody to get a nice little spreadsheet and say, well, if we're going to send kids, this is how much it's going to cost. This is the food we need. This is when we need to go. This is how much every person needs to give. And if they're going to give here, they also need to, you know, give this much to help the general budget do its thing and, and make it all work together. Now, just saying that about put me to sleep, but some of you love that kind of stuff and we need it. And then the last gift, which we'll read right here, is kind of the the priestly type gift. Uh, Verse 2, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, began to rebuild God's house in Jerusalem. And Jeshua is the high priest, the priest. And this is, we need priests in our church family because uh, the priest will make sure that we're caring for people. This is actually my lowest gift. I don't think about these things. I'm I'm often moving forward and and I'm not stopping to think and pray for people. I'm not stopping to think to actually be the hands and feet to Jesus to people. Um, I do it, but I have to be intentional about it. I have to think about it. I don't think about calling people. I don't think about praying for people. And and you guys might think, well, that's not a very good pastor. Well, I'm sorry, but it's the way God made me. You know, I, I could spend all my time with books and preaching and doing all that. And I would be just as happy as ever. But but we need people like Cheryl Barco, who has a prayer book. That makes me feel very inadequate (laughs) 
because she writes down every prayer request she hears and she really prays for people. Sets out on her porch and she talks to God and she prays for people. We need people like my grandma, Wendy, who's a part of this church, who goes to more funerals than I go to. I think she goes to funerals to people she doesn't even know. But she's just like always there supporting people. She, she has that heart. You know, and so the prophet will, will kind of tell you what to do and the, the king will tell you how we're going to do it. But the priest is the one who knits you a sweater and brings you cookies. And we need that in our church family. We need all of those gifts. And all of those gifts have their kind of downsides, too. If you're more kind of the prophet type, you know, you, you call out sin, you see patterns, you see things, you're not afraid to say what needs to be said. Then you can also be accused of arrogance. You can also be accused of being overbearing, which is all true in my own life. You know, oftentimes I'll say things without really fully thinking out what I am saying. Just ask my wife. And then we end up in situations we probably don't really need to be in. And this happens. Uh, and some of you, you think you're prophets and really you're just mean. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you need to learn to be quiet for five minutes. Uh, it won't kill you if every idea you have is not heard. Uh, I had a mentor give me a really hard challenge. It was so difficult. Uh <laughs> He said, what I want you to do, Blake, is in every conversation this week, unless it's one-on-one because that gets awkward, but in every conversation, I want you, before you say a word, before you give your idea, before you give your thoughts, you have to wait three seconds before you say anything. The conversation has to be quiet. So one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. That doesn't seem like a lot until you're in a conversation with four or five people and you realize how we all talk. We talk over each other. And so, I mean, I about exploded during that week because every conversation I would be counting faster and faster in my mind because I wanted to get my idea in. And silence doesn't last. And guess what happened? Now, most of you probably experience this all the time, but I actually had ideas that I didn't get to share with people. The conversation moved on without me giving my opinion. Some of you are like, yeah, that happens all the time. It doesn't happen for me. I always have an opinion about something. You know, I'm, I'm always sure and sometimes right. Uh, I'm kind of my. I, I was thinking about my uh, my daughter, uh, who's a four-legged and uh, is 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 a dog. Uh, looks just like her father. Uh, but when she barks, she barks 100% sure all the time. You know, you've never seen a dog give kind of like a half-hearted bark. They're always sure. UPS guy is definitely a terrorist, and uh, it's like a massive bark, just immediately without thinking. And that explains a lot of those of us who have the prophet type gifting. I mean, we are just full throttle immediately without always making sure we got all the details right. Uh, so that, that can be kind of a scenario for a prophet. But if you're uh, a kingly type person, your sin can be sometimes that you are totally and utterly pragmatic. You're always pragmatic. You never leave room for the spirit. And uh, this is so true in many churches that do everything right. I don't know if you've ever been to a church that really they did everything right. Their doctrine seemed good. You know, the, the place was clean. They had greeters in the right position. Everything was so good and perfect. And yet there was just something missing about it. They had the structure, but they didn't have the fire. And this can happen in our personal lives also. You know, some of you, you never give generously unless the budget says it's there to give. You never spontaneously do any kind of work of ministry unless you first think through the logic of things. And this is a really important thing to do. You should think logically. You should not just go, uh, you know, willy nilly on things. That's a big theological term, willy nilly. But I couldn't think of anything else. But there should be times in which we allow the spirit of God to lead us. If I, if I had a challenge for you, and this might scare some of you, I want you to, to double your tip during this week. 
Just whatever you were thinking about tipping the waitress, tip them double. Some of you are like, wait a minute, my spreadsheet doesn't add up to that, you know? Like you're, you're like, uh, you know, over there with your calculator and your pen trying to work it out. See, that, and this can be the sin of pragmatic uh, that, that comes with the kingly type gift. And then the last one is the priestly type gift. And uh, th- there's a problem there, too. Now, you guys are, are really loving and wonderful people. I wish I was more like some of you. But what can also happen there is we can begin to care more about what people think and how people feel than we do the mission of God. And this happens very often where it's like we begin to let sin go unnoticed or we begin to you know, care more about the people that we already have here than the people who are not here. You've probably been to churches like this also. In fact, I would say a lot of churches are, are ran by the priestly type people. And, and they mean well by it, but instead of worrying about the people who are outside of this place, instead of worrying about the kingdom of God that we must go after, they're, they're worried about the 40 or so people we have in the church. And they want to make those people comfortable. And they want to make sure those people feel loved and those people feel uh, cared for. And those are good things, but they cannot always be ultimate things. One of the hardest things about ministry is seeing people come and go. But it's just a fact of life. That some of you will not always resonate with the ministry of ascent. And I will care for you and I will love you as best as I can as a pastor. And I praise the church family we love and we care for people as best as we can. But there will become times in which, whether because you don't agree with the mission or because something else in life happens, that you have to move on to a different place. And that can kill priestly type people if they're not careful. So those are the, the three. And I, I would ask you, which of those three do you think that you are? And, and you probably have a strong suit. But I would also say to you that you don't get exempt from doing all three of them. As a Christian, the scriptures are very clear in the New Testament that we are all prophets. We are all priests and we are all kings. We must all do these things. We must all have the ministry of presence. We must all have the ministry of the word and we must all have the ministry of wisdom. It looks different for some of us than others of us, but we must all have it in all of our relationships. And ultimately, the Bible says we are all prophets, priests and kings. But it also says that none of us are anymore because there's one prophet, there's one priest, and there's one king, and his name is Jesus. He is the ultimate prophet. You see, the prophets came with the words of God. They're the mouthpieces of God. Jesus came, and he didn't just have the words of God. John 1 tells us he is the word of God. The word made flesh, John 1.14 tells us. That God himself took on human form and he walked amongst us. What does this mean? Well, it means that we must respond to Jesus like we do all other prophets. You only have two options when it comes to prophets. You either ignore them and rebel or you have faith and you repent. You listen to them and you do what they said or you don't. And by the way, it's not just Christians that have prophets. We have prophets all around us. Every kind of worldview has a prophet. Here in a couple of years, when we have another presidential election. You'll have a whole bunch of prophets crop up. And what do prophets do? They tell you what you should do, and then they tell you what they think the result of that will be. If you vote for this person, this will happen. If you vote for this person, this will happen. And what some of you will do, probably all of you, if you're the voting age, is you will have faith in what some of these prophets are saying, and as a result, you will take action. You will vote. You will do what you think is the right thing to do. And also, you will reject some prophets. Well, in the same way, when Jesus comes, he says some things. Like, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Like, things like we should love and forgive our enemies. These really hard, difficult things. And we have to decide whether or not we will accept Him. Will we have faith in who He is and what He said and repent? Or will we rebel against Him? 
I think for a lot of Christians, we kind of don't think of Jesus as a prophet. We like Jesus as a priest, but we don't really like Jesus as a prophet. And yet Jesus being a prophet is what got him killed. (laughs) This is why Jesus is still controversial today. People love Jesus when it comes to the golden rule. Love others as you love yourself. That's cool. People are not such a big fan of Jesus when he says things like, to find your life, you must lose it. You must bury your cross and follow me. Let the dead bury their dead. These are hard words that Jesus says. And yet if we're going to accept him as a prophet, we must accept all that he has. Why do we accept him as a prophet? Because we have faith in who he is as a person. I don't know of any other prophets. I don't know of any other prophets who have died and then rose again from the dead. If you want me to listen to you die and I'll bury you and you stay there for three days and you rise again, I'll listen to you. That's just like a general rule I have in life. If people die and rise again, you might ought to listen to them. But there's only been one so far who has proven what he said to be true. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate king who has the ultimate wisdom and the ultimate order of the world. Now, when it comes to accepting a king, here's how you know who you accept as a king. Who do you go to for protection and whose judgment do you fear? Who do you go to for protection and whose judgment do you fear? And for a lot of us, we would probably say money is our king. And that's just the the truth of the matter. When I think of my own life, who, who do I fear? Well, I often fear. I often feel great anxiety when there's not enough money in the bank. I often feel great anxiety when I don't think we're going to have enough to make it through the week. And who do I go to for protection? Well, I feel pretty good when I, get, uh, when I have some money in the bank or when, when I watch my, my retirement. And, you know, <laughs> the last couple of years, it's just been like a zigzag. So I don't even go on my investment app anymore. I just let it set because it gives me great anxiety. And what does that anxiety show me? Well, it shows me that, that I fear money and, and I'm looking to money for protection. I feel good when I have it. So, so who do you fear and who do you go to for protection? If it's Jesus, then you live for an audience of one. You live like these Jewish people did. Uh, verse 17 is talking about the king of uh, Persia, but it, it should be true of the Christian life when it comes to King Jesus. Verse 17 says, So if it pleases the king, let a search of the royal archives in Babylon be conducted to see if it is true that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the king's decision regarding this matter be sent to us. That is what it is supposed to look like for us as Christians. That we come to God and we say, Jesus, what is your decision regarding these matters? Not what does Blake want, not what does the the people in the church want, but what does Jesus want? And so often what I'm guilty of is just doing what I want and then saying, God, why didn't you bless what I wanted? You know, I thought it'd be a great idea for us to move or I thought it'd be a great idea for us to build a house or I thought it'd be a great idea to do this. And then I get mad when it doesn't work out and I say, God, where were you? And God's just sitting over there like, well, you never asked me what I wanted. That's great. Your ideas are awesome, but... But who's the king? Is it Jesus or is it you? And then finally, uh, Jesus is our, is our priest. The priest had uh, four responsibilities. And Zach, you guys can go ahead and start making your way back up here. The priest had four uh, responsibilities in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills all four of them. Uh, Jesus, the priest would intercede on behalf of the people. So you'd come to the priest and the priest was supposed to stand in the gap between a holy God and an unholy people. Uh, The priest was the one who pleaded on your behalf to say, God, forgive this person. And ultimately they did it by taking your offering, your sacrifices, and they sacrificed it to God. And you might think the idea of sacrifice is weird. It is a little bit odd if you haven't uh, heard much about it or, you know, especially for us modern people, we don't really take our goats or our sheep anywhere to get them killed. But it was really popular part of the ancient world. And it was a really big deal in Jesus's time and right before Jesus's time because What it did was it was a visible 
manifestation of their forgiveness. You see, for something to get clean, something else has to get dirty. For something to live, something else has to die. The reason all of you are breathing right now is because something died. After we leave this place, many of you guys are going to get hungry and you're going to go eat something that was once alive. Even if you're a vegetarian. You know, I, I don't, PETA really cares about animals, but plants have hearts too. And they were once living organisms that you killed. I, uh, I saw a funny uh, deal in one of the bigger cities. It might have been Dallas. I can't remember. But there was a billboard war going on. Uh, PETA bought a billboard, and uh, it was a picture of a lobster. And uh, it said, I'm not meat, I'm me. Uh, and it's something about not eating animals, some garbage like that. Um, I'm sorry if you're vegetarian. I love you. You just you don't eat the good stuff. Um, in heaven, we're eating steaks. That's just, God told me that. But uh, it's, it was this PETA poster, uh, I'm not meat, I'm me. And then right down the road, a, uh, a barbecue company or a spice company really smartly bought it and said, now I'm meat. And it was a picture of a lobster pouring the sauce on himself. I thought, I thought it was hilarious. What does that have to do with what I was saying? I have no idea at this point. Yes, for something to live, something else must die. ADHD is a heck of a thing, guys. It's, it's really there. Uh, Something else must die for the Israelite people, for them to live. They knew that the wages of sin were death. So they would take these unblemished sacrifices and they would die so that something else might live. Jesus isn't just the priest who takes the sacrifice. Jesus is the priest himself. He is the one who dies in my place. He is the one who takes what is supposed to be my dirt and I get to take what is supposed to be his cleanliness. He takes my status as sinner on himself and he pays the penalty for it. And he gives me the status of righteousness and I get to be a co-heir with Christ. The gospel is amazing, friends. And really what the gospel is, is either you allow Jesus to pay the penalty for you or you choose to pay it yourself. Your penalty for your sin is death. What did Jesus do? He came and he lived the perfect life, the only life that deserved everlasting life. And yet he dies on a cross. And he says, whoever trusts in me, This counts for them. Uh, It's kind of like a a story I heard about a guy who was um, at a wedding. And uh, I resonate with this story because it easily could have been me. I spill stuff on myself all the time. And uh, this this guy, the the groom, was right before they were going out for the wedding, he was drinking a cup of coffee. And he spilled coffee all over his white undershirt. And uh, about that time, the guy who was, uh, you know, doing the the wedding, officiating the wedding, came in and said, okay, guys, you got to come. And uh, he didn't have time to change shirts or to do anything like that. And so he's like, man, I'm going to look like an idiot. Uh, it's not going to be good. And, uh, and his friend, his best man, looked at him and he said, wait a minute, change shirts with me. Change shirts with me. And it, so he took off his clean white shirt and he gave it to the groom. And his best man put on this shirt covered in coffee. So when you look at the wedding pictures, the groom looks great. The best man looks like a complete slob. This is like what Jesus does for us. He says, give me your dirty sin. Give me your dirty status as sinner. And you take my pure status as the son of God, as the righteousness of God. Friends, do you trust that? Do you come to Jesus as the priest in that way in your life? Jesus is the true prophet. He is not just the one who comes with the words of God. He is the word of God. Jesus is the true king. He is not just somebody who leads us like our presidents do or like a prime minister or like the kings of this world. No, he is the one who has all wisdom, who ultimately rules the heavens and the earth. 
And Jesus is the true priest who makes a way for us to know and to have relationship with the God of this universe, irregardless of our own status as sinners. Friends, pray with me. Father, thank you that you are so good to us. God, thank you that we've went from enemies to children of God through Jesus. Thank you that we went from having no purpose to having a life full of purpose. And God, thank you so much for your presence that is with us. Lord, I pray that we would rely on you and you alone. I pray that you would help us as we live out these own gifts in our community as prophets and priests and kings. And we serve the one true prophet, priest, and king. God, we love you and we praise you. Friends, if you would take 20 seconds with your eyes closed, head bowed, and just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey what you've called us to do. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.